So, Yumna, first things first, our listeners will be interested in hearing where you are right now and uh, what is going on around you. What What's the situation like where you are? Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I am currently based in the city of Bethlehem. It's in the southern occupied West Bank. I actually just got back from a protest that was happening um, on the northern end of the city. Um, this is one of dozens of protests that um, are currently taking place across the West Bank right now on Friday. Um, the protest that I was covering in Bethlehem, um, there were uh, you know, hundreds of Palestinian protesters that gathered um, at one of, end of the city carrying Palestinian flags and essentially calling um, for an end on the current Israeli um, offensive that's taking place on the Gaza Strip that has left over 100 Palestinians dead and more than 30 of them children. Um, the protesters were calling for an end to the onslaught. Um, they were showing solidarity, um, or not solidarity, I mean, they're standing with their fellow Palestinians in Jerusalem, in Sheikh Jarrah, um, in the Palestinian communities inside Israel, um, in the city of Lids, for example, that are coming under attack from um, Israeli mobs and the Israeli police. And so the, the protests um, in Bethlehem and across the West Bank have, have all been voicing one similar message, which is Palestinians calling for an end to the Israeli apartheid regime, calling for an end to the more than 50-year-long occupation of the West Bank, calling an end for the 15-year siege on Gaza. So that's what's, uh, that's what's currently going on right now. And these protests, these protests are expected to continue in the coming days in the West Bank um, as, as the situation continues to unfold. And is this sort of, uh, how similar is this reaction to the reaction from people in the West Bank in 2014? Are we seeing more of an immediate response from people in the West Bank to what's been going on in the Gaza Strip vis-a-vis uh, the, the Israeli violence that's being imposed on them? Is there like a feeling that this time around people in the West Bank are uh, are sort of more prepared to react and to try to put pressure on, on Israeli forces to stop what they're doing? Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, they're sort of more reactive or more prepared to react than they were in 2014, for example, you know, um, even though the West Bank and the Gaza Strip and East Jerusalem and Palestinian communities inside Israel um, have been separated geographically, Palestinians across all of these, you know, these territories and these geographic regions um, consistently time and time again stand together against um, whatever Israeli aggressions and attacks are happening on their different communities, whether it, um, it's in Gaza and the West Bank, etc. So um, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's much of a change in their reaction because Palestinians have always, you know, in the West Bank, for example, have always come out, have always come out in large numbers in the streets um, when any of their Palestinian, their fellow Palestinian communities are under attack, whether it's in Gaza or in East Jerusalem. Um, so yeah, it, it's similar to what we've seen in the past. Um, I think the one uh, sort of difference that's being highlighted is, you know, the the fact that these protests are very much being mobilized on the ground. These are grassroots mobilizations amongst Palestinian youth. These are protests that are being organized on Facebook groups and social media groups on, um, you know, being called over the, the speakers of the mosques. People, you know, earlier this morning in the West Bank, um, in, in Bethlehem, where I was, 
um, hundreds of people at four in the morning were just marching through the streets, calling for people to join them to stand up for Gaza and stand up for, for Palestinian communities in Israel. So um, this is definitely a movement that's being led by the people on the street, um, whereas in the past, maybe uh, there was a more concerted effort on part of the Palestinian um, political factions and, and leaderships um, to, to mobilize or at least um, take credit for the mobilization um, of the protest. So that's what I would say is one of the defining differences. In Palestinian authorities, uh, or the Palestinian Authority, I should say, and Fatah, they have a weird sort of relationship vis-a-vis -vis their own people and the Israeli government, to uh, put it sort of basically, I guess. Uh, can you talk a little more about that and how the PA, uh, uh, its role in in vis-a-vis -vis Israel and the occupation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so in the protests that we're seeing right now, for example, um, the PA has not been a feature in, as I mentioned, you know, before the PA has not been a feature in these recent protests and uprisings that we've been seeing. They have been, um, you know, nowhere to be seen, essentially. I mean, they've come out with a few statements, essentially what Palestinians are viewing as an effort for the leadership to try to, to insert themselves and sort of co-opt the movement that is happening, you know, saying that they stand with their people. But as you mentioned, you know, the Palestinian people um, or the Palestinian Authority have a very complicated relationship with the people that they represent or the people that they claim to represent. You know, for, for decades, the Palestinian Authority has employed a number of policies, for example, security coordination in which the Palestinian security forces coordinate with the Israeli intelligence and security forces um, on, you know, Israeli movements and arrest raids and detentions and protests across the, the West Bank. And that's been a huge point of contention um, for years, you know, as Palestinians hold the, the PA accountable um, and hold them responsible for for a lot of the arrests that happen and for, for the suppression of their own voices. And in some of the protests that we've been seeing recently, for example, a few days ago, there was a protest in Ramallah, um, which is um, you know the hub of the, the PA and the sort of pseudo capital of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. Um, protesters in Ramallah that were that were marching against the, the onslaught on Gaza and the Israeli aggressions in Jerusalem. A lot of the protests, uh, protesters were we're chanting, you know, anti-PA slogans and calling for an end to security coordination and an end to the Abbas regime. And there were undercover Palestinian Authority um, intelligence agents, essentially, that were dispersed within these protests. And they started attacking anyone who um, was saying anything critical of the government. And those sort those videos went viral on Palestinian social media, and they've only sort of added more fuel to the fire. Um, of these youth movements um, that that are that we're seeing right now that are rising up right now in the protests in Haifa and Ramallah and Bethlehem, people aren't just criticizing Israel. They're not just condemning Israel and calling for an end to the Israeli occupation and the apartheid regime. They're also calling for an end to the Palestinian Authority and to Abbas's regime. Um, in the protests that I mentioned this morning, where people were marching through the streets of Bethlehem, one of the things that they were chanting was they were calling Abbas a coward and a collaborator um, and, you know, vowing to essentially, you know, unseat him. And so there's very much an anti-PA sentiment that's also being shared across these, these protests as well. We've seen the brutality of Israeli security forces on full display this week from the 
raids on the Al-Aqsa Mosque to the precision guidance uh, bombings of residential towers uh, in Gaza. Um, the other really disturbing part of this that you mentioned briefly is the are the reactionary elements within the Israeli population. We've seen uh, videos of mobs beating Palestinians, uh, destroying Arab dome businesses. Um, that video of the uh, the, the crowd uh, uh, witnessing the fire outside the Al Aqsa Mosque, singing uh, ultra nationalist songs. Um, Netanyahu addressed the the country yesterday and called for an end to this sort of uh, uh, um, vigilante, I should say. I mean, it's not really vigilante uh, uh, violence, but uh, extra state violence. Um, but is there actually on the ground any attempts to rein this in at all, or is it is it sort of being encouraged? That's a really good question. Um, so it is being encouraged, and it's not just being encouraged. Um, the Israeli state is colluding with these um, mobs that are attacking Palestinians um, inside communities, inside Israel um, and occupied East Jerusalem. We've seen videos coming out of, of Haifa and um, of Jerusalem and of Sheikh Jarrah and all of these places in recent days where, you know, we're not just seeing these mobs that are attacking Palestinians, attack, searching for Palestinians to attack, going inside of their homes, targeting Palestinian businesses. In a lot of those videos, the police are either pr protecting the, the, the mobs as they attack Palestinians, protecting the Israeli settlers as they attack Palestinians, or they're actually joining in with them. There is a really disturbing video from Haifa, which is a city inside of Israel. So these are Palestinians um, Haifa has a huge Palestinian population. Um, these are Palestinian citizens of Israel. And there's a video of um, Israeli police entering a Palestinian home with um, sort of protecting these mobs and they break into the Palestinian home. And it's actually the Israeli police that start beating the Palestinians inside their home. Um, in Sheikh Jarrah, for example, last night, activists in Sheikh Jarrah on the ground were reporting that um, settlers, armed settlers were attacking um, were attacking the neighborhood and they were under the full protection um, and the assistance of the Israeli police and security forces. So like you said, um, it's not that, you know, to answer your question, no, the, the state is not doing anything to stop these, these mobs and what Palestinians have described as anti-Palestinian pogroms. Um, they've actually joined in on the violence. Um, the rhetoric of Israeli politicians is encouraging um, the violence further and countless times and time and time again, as we've seen over the years, over the decades, the Israeli state and security apparatus is working in tandem with um, you know, the Israeli settler groups and far-right groups and ultra-nationalist groups in order to terrorize Palestinian communities. And we're seeing that now. And you mentioned that you know Netanyahu um, went on calling for an end, you could say, to whatever this, um, you know, violence is. And, you know, the Israeli um, media are often framing this as, you know, a civil war or, you know, violence between Palestinian um, groups and between Palestinians and Jews inside Israel. But um, as Palestinian activists point out, the main um, differentiating factor is that the the Jewish groups that are 
that are going around targeting Palestinians have the full backing of the state. And even though, you know, Netanyahu and other politicians have um, on the surface called for an end to it, they've also in the same breath um, essentially told Israeli soldiers and Israeli, you know, members of this Israeli security apparatus to um, not to worry about any investigations or internal investigations into their conduct um, at this time, essentially giving the green light to the Israeli security forces and to the, the settler mobs that they're protecting to continue to attack Palestinians. You, you, you talked about the security agreement between the uh, PA and the Israeli government. Is, is, does, what is the presence like of, of Israeli uh, security forces in the West Bank itself? So, for, so 60% of the West Bank is under full Israeli security and civilian control. So Israeli security is the Israeli military, border police forces, et cetera, have a permanent presence in Area C. So you're talking about more than 60% of the West Bank. Um, the other 40% is divided into areas A and B. Um, area B has um, it, the civil, is under civilian control of the Palestinian Authority and security control of the Israelis. And Area A is supposed to be under full security and civilian control of the Palestinian Authority. So Area A actually only makes up around less than 18% of the entire West Bank. So um, there's this myth that, you know, the West Bank is under the control of the Palestinian Authority, but the Palestinian Authority is, is regulated to these sort of small areas within the West Bank where they, you know, have sort of nominal control. And um, within Area A, which is supposed to be under full control of the PA, the Israeli military and, and security apparatus is not supposed to have jurisdiction here. That's where security coordination comes in. So in the mm. other part of the West Bank in areas um, B and C, where the Israeli security apparatus moves freely and controls those areas, um, and the Palestinian um, Authority actually needs permission oftentimes to move in those areas from the Israelis, um, security coordination mainly comes into play in areas A. So you're talking about within, like inside big cities like Bethlehem, for example, inside um, cities like Ramallah. So when Israeli forces want to go in and conduct these overnight raids, which they have been stepping up in recent days um, in the West Bank, um, in major Palestinian cities that are area A, that is where they contact their, um, their counterparts within the Palestinian intelligence and say, we are coming to XYZ area to, um, for a raid tonight. And so the, the um, Palestinian security forces essentially, you know, green light and assist the entry of Israeli forces into um, area, into Palestinian areas, Palestinian cities and refugee camps so that the Israeli forces can come and arrest Palestinians and then leave. So, um, you know, there's sort of this um, joke or this saying that, that goes around in Palestinian society in the West Bank that if you see um, Palestinian Authority police or forces out in the street in area A, you know that there's no Israeli forces in the area. But the second that the PA forces sort of retreat and go into their bases, um, that means that they've they're making way for the Israeli forces to come in and, and arrest Palestinian civilians. And so, where we were today, for example, in Bethlehem, we're on the main street of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is in Area A, but Israeli you know Israeli forces have a permanent military base at the northern end of the city and frequently come in to you know into the city to suppress protests and demonstrations, and then also come in in the middle of the night to to arrest Palestinians. 
who are politically active, um, Palestinian demonstrators, protesters, et cetera, um, with the full, um, you know, and they, they're only allowed to do that because of security coordination with the PA. Can you talk a little about uh, the sort of uh, immediate genesis for a lot of the um, most recent um, Israeli aggression and and the what what happened in Sheikh Jarrah and what what's going on there and how it's sort of emblematic of the overall ethnic cleansing of Palestine? Yeah, absolutely. I think people, you know, there's so much going on right now. Um, everything that's happening in Gaza and, you know, things are happening so quickly. Um, the news is moving so fast. Um, but this all has been sort of the current sort of moment that we're seeing. Um, everything that's been leading up to this has sort of started um, at the beginning of, you know, Ramadan in Jerusalem. So Israeli forces since the beginning of Ramadan were suppressing Palestinian presence in the city. They were restricting Palestinian access to the old city, to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Um, Israeli forces, Israeli um, security, uh, the Israeli security apparatus had um, basically set up these barriers and um, around the Damascus Gate area, which is the main entrance to the Muslim quarter of the city and a very popular public space um, for, for Palestinians in the city where they often gather um, together, um, not just for protests, but just um, for social gatherings as well, especially during the month of Ramadan. So they put up these barriers that were preventing people from sitting there. And that was causing a lot of tension between Palestinian youth and different protests, etc. So all of that was sort of happening um, as we led up to then the full onslaught of what was happening in um, inside the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound that we saw last week. And in tandem at the same time, um, we have Palestinian, um, the Palestinian uh, families in, the, in Sheikh Jarrah who, um, who are currently under threat of, um, of forcible displacement from their homes. And they've been under threat for forcible displacement for decades. Um, but this all came to a head recently because May 2nd essentially was the deadline that the Israeli court had um, had set to, a, to forcibly evict the families. Um, and so there was a lot of attention being put on Sheikh Jarrah um, around the time leading up to um, May 2nd, you know, local activists from the neighborhood were holding daily sit-ins and demonstrations. Um, inside the neighborhood, they were obviously being suppressed by Israeli forces. And that has that has only continued, you know, in recent weeks. So um, the situation in Sheikh Jarrah was happening in tandem with what was happening at the with the Israeli aggressions at the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound and the suppressions of, of Palestinian presences in the old city during Ramadan. So all of that was sort of happening at the same time um, and sort of took off in, and that's what, you know, I think got people paying attention in the in the media, um, the hashtag Save Sheikh Jarrah was trending in the US. And this was something that, you know, the Palestinians in, in Sheikh Jarrah have been advocating against their forcible displacement and ethnic cleansing for decades. You know, this is not something new, um, but just the current moment and all the activism and the work that they've been doing has drawn a lot of attention to their, to their cause and a lot more mainstream attention to their cause um, in recent weeks. And the fight is definitely not over. I think a lot of attention right now obviously is focused on what's happening in Gaza. Um, but every night um, there are, are, you know, the Palestinians in Sheikh Jarrah are, are under attack. They're coming under attack. Last night, 
um, Muhammad al-Kurd and Muna al-Kurd, which are their brother and sister. They are some of the faces of the youth resistance in Sheikh Jarrah. Um, they posted on their social media saying that, um, you know, armed Israeli settlers were attacking their neighborhood and the settlers were under the protection of the Israeli security forces. And Israeli security forces had completely surrounded the neighborhood. They weren't letting anyone in and out. Um, and so this is something, and that's something that's been happening for weeks. Um, Israeli forces have been restricting access to the neighborhood um, so that, you know, Palestinian activists from other parts of the city and other parts of the country cannot enter the neighborhood to, to partake in the solidarity protests. They've been restricting media access. Um, so that's why, you know, we've been relying on the very crucial efforts of, you know, the, the families on the ground and people like Muna al-Kurd and Muhammad al-Kurd who are, who are, you know, they're, they're advocating, they're, they're trying to advocate for um, their families against their ethnic cleansing. And at the same time, they're, they're showing the world, you know, what's happening and, and journalists everywhere are sort of relying on, on what they're, what they're putting out there and what they're showing us, because right now they're currently the only lenses into what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah as, you know, Israeli forces continue to, to suppress entry into the neighborhood. Finally, Yumna, um, have you noticed any shift, uh, at least since 2014 as to what's happening here? I know in, in the States, some of us have been fairly surprised by the rhetoric by certain members of Congress, uh, and how they are condemning Israel in this situation, stuff that, you weren't hearing uh, during previous uh, aggression. You see international uh, organizations weighing in on this that didn't weigh in on this before. Um, are you noticing that? Or are people on the ground noticing that? And what effect is that having, if so? Absolutely. I mean, personally, I, I have noticed a shift. I think there's, you know, you're comparing it to example for 2014. Um, five years ago, I mean, that was longer than five years ago, but I'm even just five years ago, talking about Palestine, um, just even mentioning, you know, Palestine words like ethnic cleansing, Israeli apartheid, even just being openly critical of, you know, the Israeli occupation, which was a fact that was recognized by human rights groups on the ground and by the international community for decades. Just even talking about Palestine, um, people were immediately vilified and, you know, accusations of anti-Semitism were immediately sort of thrown at you if you even, you know, breached the subject of Palestine. And it was not something that we were seeing being discussed in mainstream media or when it was discussed in mainstream media um, or, you know, within the halls of Congress or, um, you know, the American public or people on social media, it was very much um, a the the one sided discourse that um, and we didn't see a lot of Palestinian voices either, you know, being highlighted. And so I think I've definitely noticed a shift. We're seeing more Palestinian voices being highlighted in the media. We're seeing more people talking about Palestine. We're seeing more people talking about Palestine in a way that is accurate. Um, and reflective of the actual situation on the ground and the actual, um, you know, apartheid that that Palestinians are facing, and um, it's not something that we were seeing before. And like I said, you know, um, things like hashtag Save Sheikh Jarrah were, were were trending in the U.S. You know, and I don't think that's something that was possible. Um, 
five years ago or back in 2014, et cetera. You know, people now are witnessing these human rights abuses right in front of their eyes in real time on social media. Um, and I think that a lot of the myths that have been perpetuated by, you know, Israeli propaganda and by the Israeli state for, for so many years are sort of starting to fade away. Um, with the very crucial work of, of Palestinian activists on the ground and Palestinian civil society organizations who have been talking about this for decades. I think just now people are, are more willing to listen. Um, and I, I think we're seeing a shift in the way that people are talking about Palestine. I think we have a long way to go. Um, but I think, you know, moves are, moves are definitely being made. And I think people here on the ground definitely notice that as well. Yumna Patel is the Palestine correspondent for Mondawais. She's based in Bethlehem. You can follow her on Twitter at Yumna underscore Patel. And uh, you are going to be at a protest in Ramallah tonight. Is that right? Um, I, I am not going to be at a protest in Ramallah tonight, but I may be in Ramallah sometime over the weekend. Um, you know, these protests are going to continue. So we'll be covering them in the coming days. Okay, so we will check your Twitter feed for updates on that. And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Yumna.